Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of the Sabbath law, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was talking about Hebrews chapter 4 where it says that there remains a rest for the people of God. And this is not the rest of the Sabbath law, and it is not the rest of entering into the promised land. There is another rest, and this rest has to do with resting from our works of righteousness. And we are only able to do that when we finally come to the point when we recognize how depraved we truly are. When we grow to really embrace our depravity to the point where we have no hope at all. You see, many people will teach the law because they still have hope. They really believe that there is some hope. They hope that they will be able to obey it a little bit. And they hope that God will honor that. But that is pure, absolute fantasy. God will not honor this at all. He is a God of reality. We are to come to that point of hopelessness. We are to embrace that so that we can truly embrace the mercy of God. Now, there's something else about this that I think is very easy for people to miss. And that is that the rest that he speaks of concerning the Sabbath law and what it foreshadowed, this rest that we enter into in Christ is different from the rest spoken of in the law, that's true. But the work is also different. It's not just the rest that foreshadows a reality. It is also the work that foreshadows a reality. You see, when people are consumed with the law or preoccupied with the law or they are preoccupied with themselves, they're more concerned with what they are doing or not doing, they're more concerned with how they define their work and how they can use that in order to assert themselves before God or justify themselves before God, and if not before him, before others. But there is a different kind of work. The works of the law are a foreshadowing of a reality that is now found in the works of the Spirit, the works of the gospel, and those works are different. They are different. There is a different rest. There is a different work. Now, this is difficult for people to embrace until after the Lord reveals this to them personally. And so if you're not sure of what I'm talking about, give it some time and understand that I can only testify of it, but to really know it, you're going to have to wait until the Holy Spirit reveals this to you personally. So for now, please understand that I know what my limitations are. Respect that. Respect your own limitations and understand that I'm just simply speaking of something. I'm not the one who can infuse this into your being. I can only testify of it. That there is another kind of work. 
You see, when we look at ourselves and when we look at the law of God, we normally define our lives by our works in various ways. But according to the gospel, there is another kind of work that he is involved in, that we get to participate in, that the world cannot embrace and that no law can define. There is a different kind of work. For example, the work of salvation is a work that was never spoken of in the law. The work of sharing the truth of God with others, according to the gospel, was never spoken of in the law. There are many truths that are spoken of in the law that should be shared, that should be understood, but there is more. That's what I'm referring to, is the more. So this is not just about resting, this is also about working. And there is a work according to the new covenant that we get to enter into. Now, Jesus spoke about this during his ministry, but it's very easy to miss if you don't know what you're looking for. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, Jesus healed the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. And I did a complete study on this healing, and so I would like to refer you to the study that I did of the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Some very important points and revelations need to be expressed, and so I took the time to talk about those things in those programs. But I'm going to proceed past that and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath, where he healed the man of the pool of Bethesda and spoke about the things that he had done. In verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Consider that for just a minute. How can he say that his father is working when his father rested from his works according to the Sabbath law? He's speaking to them in a way that they are not going to understand. What he says is a contradiction from their point of view. How can the living God be working, especially on the Sabbath day? when we are remembering that he is no longer doing a work, that he has rested from his work, and we are resting in commemoration of his rest, and we would expect that he would rest as well. And so how can you say that he is working and that you are working and you are doing the work that he is doing? Well, the way that this can be understood is only if you recognize that the work that he is speaking of is a spiritual work that has nothing to do with the flesh. Jesus spoke of another kind of work that is real, that was foreshadowed by the Sabbath law, but it has nothing to do with resting from the works that you would rest from when obeying the Sabbath law, and it has nothing to do with the works that you would proceed to do after you have finished resting from the Sabbath law. These works are completely different. There is a reality that God is functioning in, and he has invited us to be participants in this. Just as Jesus did a work on the Sabbath day, it was a spiritual work. It was a work of God. It was a work that God did as he did the healing. This was done and this was spoken of to these people so that this could be expressed and communicated. So let's take a moment and go back to the foreshadowing, and then I'll speak of this reality once again. The foreshadowing of the Sabbath law is not just about resting. It's about something more. 
It's also about working. I found that a lot of people have a hard time recognizing this, you know, because for the most part, the way the Sabbath law is advertised is that it's all about resting, but it isn't. The law says more than just rest on the seventh day. The law also says that you are to work six days a week. That's what the law says. The law of the Sabbath is not just about resting. It is also about working. It's also about working. You know, it's very unusual to find people who see this, who recognize this. And so if you understand what I'm about to say, consider yourself to be unique. The Sabbath law teaches, instructs, tells us that we are to work, not just rest, but that we are to work. You know, there are a lot of people who devote their lives to trying to find ways not to work for various reasons. There is a goal that people have, for example, retirement, which there's nothing evil about that inherently, but unfortunately the way that people look at it is they look at it as an opportunity not to work, that they will retire so that they no longer do any work at all. But to me, from what I can tell in the scriptures, retirement can be viewed in a different way. It can be viewed as now being able to do the kind of work that you would like to do. Not be preoccupied with doing work that you don't want to do, but to be able to do work that you would like to do, perhaps even work that you have to do still. But it's a different way of thinking to recognize the importance of work and the value of work. To know that we were created by our God not just to rest, but also to work. And that we are to work six days a week. Our sons and our daughters are to work according to the law. That's what it says. Read the law. I know that this can be very disturbing for some people because I know a lot of people who believe that giving a child a chore to do in the house, for example, is considered to be a violation of child labor laws in some way, that children under no circumstances are ever to do any work of any kind. This is how a lot of people are. This is how a lot of people think. I continue to run across people like this, and so... I don't feel uncomfortable in telling you that there are a lot of people who do not believe that children should ever work at all. You have to wait until they become an adult, and then they can start learning how to work, I suppose. At that point, it becomes even more difficult to teach someone how to do anything. But this is what people think. This is how people live. People do not recognize the importance of work from a physical point of view. If we were to work six days a week and work productively in the creation of things, in the creation of life, which, of course, would be another subject for me to speak about concerning the types of work that people participate in. There is a lot of work that people do that is actually more destructive than constructive, for example. But please understand that if people in a country, in the nation of Israel, if they were to work six days a week doing work that was constructive, that was creative, that was life-giving, if people do that, then the nation would prosper dramatically. The fulfillment of the blessings offered by God would be realized in a very practical way, just by people doing work, resting on one day a week to prepare themselves to do work for the other six days a week. There's a very practical explanation 
there is a very practical revelation and understanding concerning the Sabbath law with regards to rest and work. But when we look at this from the point of view of the flesh, the Sabbath law becomes a teaching of teaching people to rest from their works, to rest, and of course to do work, but the emphasis is on the rest from the work. Now, in the reality that we now live in, according to the New Covenant, we rest from our works because of what Jesus has done for us. And we are able to be participants in the work of God that he is now involved in, in his creation of life. He allows us to be participants in that, but this is only possible when we are resting in him. We must enter into his rest from our own works so that we can be participants in the work of God, first and foremost, encouraging people to enter into his rest and then to be involved in communicating that message to others so that they can enter into his rest as well, which is the work. And so from a spiritual point of view, we rest so that we can be participants in his work We will rest in our relationship with him to grow, to mature, so that he can train us, equip us, disciple us, instruct us, and prepare us for the work that he is preparing for us to do. We rest in order to work. According to the law, we generally work in order to rest, and we work to obey. We rest to obey, but in the New Covenant, We believe, not obey, we believe in what he has accomplished so that we can rest, so that we can be participants in the work, not out of obedience. We do so just because that's who we are. And this work of being involved in the work of God is not laborious. It's not something that we ever need to rest from, really, in our flesh, outside of a moment of prayer and preparation. But that's not the same thing as how we experience it in the flesh. It is different. And so I can speak of it, but in order to truly experience it, you're going to have to turn to the Lord and ask Him for further guidance concerning this, because this is an issue that can only be related fully by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that He will perhaps begin to speak with you through the words that I have spoken, but will continue to speak with you in such a way that he can help you to understand the new work and the new rest that we can now enter into. Now, there's one more subject that needs to be addressed concerning this topic, and that is the issue related to salvation, that there are many passages in the scriptures, spoken of prophetically even, where we can see that the Lord will make a decision concerning entrance into heaven on the basis of a person's obedience. There there are some passages in the scriptures that will lead a person to believe that if they don't get their flesh under control, God will not allow them to enter into heaven. That if a person does not keep his commandments, does not obey his commandments, then he will not allow them to enter into heaven. And I know of these passages. You should know of these also. If you don't, I'm not going to give them to you. You should look into this subject and find out what are those passages that speak of salvation, of entrance into the kingdom of heaven 
on the basis of your works, on the basis of your obedience, on the basis of your sin, that if you are recognized as someone who failed to do certain things, or perhaps you did some things that were considered to be sin, and so he will not allow you into his kingdom because of the sin that you committed. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, separating the sheep from the goats, things like that. If you don't know of these passages, take some time to look into them. They're very important. People will often bring these up as a way of justifying their position with me by telling me that, you know, we have to obey the commandments of God because it clearly says that we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so get busy. Get to it. Teach people to obey the commandments, to include the Sabbath law, so that people will have a chance at least, because obviously if they don't do these things, then they won't have a chance. Well, this is the bottom line. This is the point. And that is that there is no way that anyone is ever going to be able to go before God and claim that they have a right to enter into the kingdom of heaven because they were obedient to his commandments. There's no way. And the reason why is because there is no way that a person can fully obey all of the commandments. Now, if you are a person who believes that you can, the only thing that I can say in response to that is that you're not being honest. You're not being honest with your sin, and you're not being honest with your pursuit of the law. You need to take the law more seriously, and you need to really do it and stop comparing yourself with other people If you think that if you do it better than other people, then somehow that justifies you, that's not the case. You obey the law. You pursue it. You do it. And for somebody to tell me that they are, tells me that they simply don't know the law and they've deceived themselves and they're attempting to deceive me. This is what you need to do. You need to actually do what you claim that you are doing You need to really pursue it because I believe that eventually you will see that you cannot do it, that there is no way that you can do it. And so if you want to go before God and be evaluated by God on the basis of your flesh, if that's what you want, then I am confident that he'll accommodate that. If you want to go before the Lord and say, Lord, listen, I want you to look at me and allow me to enter into your kingdom because of my obedience to your commandments. I want that. Then I suspect he will probably accommodate that, and he will evaluate you, and he will show you that you have not met the criteria, and so he will show you that he will not allow you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, no one will make it in there. He can speak of the circumstance prophetically, to divide the sheep from the goats, to divide the unholy from the holy. But the fact will remain that there is no one who will be in that category of holy. There will be no one who will be in that category of the ones who were obedient. Those passages that speak of this evaluation prophetically are not to be used to condemn people like myself. You don't use those to condemn me. We use those to condemn you. That's the deception that people live in. They look at these passages and they say, Now, Aaron, you're teaching people to violate the law. I'm not teaching people to violate the law. I'm teaching people that the law has no place in their life anymore. 
that their life has nothing to do with whether they violate the law or not violate the law anymore. I teach people that they are dead to the law, that they are born again by the Spirit of God to walk in a newness of life. That's not teaching people to violate the law. That's teaching people to die to the law. That's something else. That's something different. They tell me that I'm teaching people to violate the law, and because of that, these people will not be able to go into the kingdom of heaven because they are not holy, because they have not obeyed. And I'm telling you that you haven't obeyed. You're the one who's going to be evaluated by those passages. I'm not going to be evaluated by those passages. The Lord isn't going to look at me and say, Now, Aaron, I can point out a few sins, and because of that, you're not going to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's not the interaction that I'm going to have with him. That might very well be the interaction that you're going to have with him, but I think that the only way that that can be possible is if you're not a child of God. If you're not a child of God, that's the kind of conversation you're going to have, which will be very short, I assume. With myself, though, I am a child of God. Those verses do not apply to me because I am not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven on the basis of my obedience or disobedience. I am going to enter into the kingdom of heaven on the basis of his mercy, on the basis of his forgiveness. No other way. So this is the bottom line concerning the Sabbath law. The bottom line is very simple. If you are living according to the Sabbath law in your flesh, making the assumption that this is going to have something or anything to do with your relationship with your God, then you are living in the shadows. You are not living in the reality. You're not living in what was foreshadowed by the Sabbath law. And I don't know what the specific barrier is in your life, whether or not it is your understanding of the gospel or whether or not it is your understanding of what your God demands of you, what he expects of you, or whether or not you really recognize just how sinful you really are, or whether or not you believe that you really are going to experience the blessings that were promised by the law. You know, the Lord could have promised anything. He could have promised the moon. He could have promised you your own planet. It wouldn't matter what he promised in the blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 28 because no one would ever meet the criteria that he established. I don't know what the specific barriers are in your life, in your heart. I've mentioned the most common that I personally have encountered, and if none of these speak to your heart concerning this issue, then there probably are some other ones. And maybe those will be found in the series that I produced on spiritual warfare or the series that I produced on the subject of forgiveness. But I'm definitely confident in one thing, and that is that there are some barriers between you and your God, and because of that, you do not know his heart. You do not know who he is. You do not know the rest that he has called us to, that he has called you to, that you have failed to enter into. You do not know what the work is that he is doing and that he has invited you to be a participant in. The creation of life in the spirit as opposed to the creation of life in the flesh. You don't know what that is. And I pray that one day you will truly recognize that there is something that you are not experiencing. And you know that there is something out there somewhere that you could experience that you should be experiencing and you're not. When that day comes, revisit the work that I've mentioned. And perhaps you might one day discover what those barriers are. Take those barriers away by believing in what he has accomplished. 
and embrace the new covenant that he has established and invoked. Now, for those of you who understand what I mean by the grace of God, this is how I want you to consider the prophetic passages that I just referred to. And in general, I spoke to those who are still trying to live according to the law. And this is why, because they look at these passages and they think that one day they're going to go before the Lord and they are going to be evaluated on this basis. And let me tell you something. If anybody quotes these passages to you for the purpose of defending their position, for the purpose of telling you that they are not going to believe in the complete forgiveness of sins, then I want you to understand that you are talking to someone who is going to be evaluated in that way. This is an individual who will experience what is prophetically described by those verses, that the Lord is going to evaluate them because they are the ones who have chosen to be evaluated on the basis of their works. They have chosen to be evaluated on the basis of their obedience or disobedience, evaluated on the basis of their sin or the lack thereof, to be evaluated on the basis of their flesh. They have chosen to be evaluated and prophetically speaking, the Lord will accommodate that. He will evaluate them on that basis because they are not truly, fully, completely depending on the mercy of God. So these passages are there for a reason. And I believe that they are there for the purpose of providing people with an opportunity to understand the judgment that they are facing. But quite often, they'll turn these passages on you and say that you are the one who is going to be evaluated on this basis. And I'm telling you that I am not. And if you believe the gospel and you believe that you are dead to the law, you won't be evaluated on that basis either. Those passages speak to those who want to be alive to the law, who have refused to accept the fact that they are dead in Christ, that they have been forgiven. So those are there for a reason, but they are not there for those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. When the evaluation is complete, according to those prophecies, there will be no one who will enter into his rest or enter into his kingdom on the basis of what they did or did not do. Everyone will be condemned. You must depend on his mercy alone. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.